Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Drag up that diesel. What's good and welcome to the Pigpen Podcast. It has been a very hot second since I got in front of this microphone, but we are a few days away from the NFL draft and I can't think of a better time to get on here and we can have some fun and discuss some dream scenarios for what is going to take place on Thursday in particular. Now, I do have a small tidbit I want to get to on some stuff in the later rounds. We will save that for the end of this episode, but we got to have some fun. We got to go over some dream scenarios for our Washington football team and how they can leave Thursday night a better football team than they entered. If this is your first time hearing me, hit me up on the Twitter machine. Connect with me over there at the Denton Day. So without further ado, we'll just kind of jump right into this. Uh, And I'll start with this. I want to peel the curtain back uh, a little bit. And I know what I'm about to say makes me a hypocrite, but I am an honest man who does his best to make an honest living. I'm so done with draft lead up. I am so done with it. It's three days away now at the time of recording. I just want to get to Thursday. I just want to get to Friday. I just want to get to... I want the draft to be over because we have hit the sweet spot in the speculation where the talking heads on television are just getting brutally annoying. Just unbearably annoying. They're pulling things out of their rear end on a consistent basis. They're re-going over storylines that we've been hearing for months on months on months. I am done with the over-speculation of the draft I just wanted here. Now, that makes me hypocrite because I'm about to spend the next 20-plus minutes talking and speculating about what our team is going to do in the NFL draft. So I'm going to break this up into a couple of different sections. We have the realistic section, which is the less fun section uh, that we will get to second. We're going to start with the dream scenario stuff. And then again, at the end, I do just want to pay attention to two quarterbacks in particular that I will, that I think will be available for us and actually makes sense as to being a whole bridge situation. That will be at the end. Let's start with the dream scenarios, though. The, the, the perfect scenarios where 
if this individual falls into our lap, we can leave Thursday happy. We'll get the big one out of the way first, the one that's going to cause the most amount of controversy because I've mentioned it this guy before. I got attacked for it, and understandably so. Like, I'm not defending Micah Parsons. He is he is the first perfect scenario for for Washington on Thursday, and I understand where people are coming from when they bring up the character issues with Micah Parsons. I get it. And I'm not advocating that we look over character issues because he's good at football. Like, not just for Micah Parsons, that stretches to to anybody in the National Football League. But from a football perspective, he fits and fills the biggest hole that our defense has. And I'm fully expecting to go into 2021 very similarly to what we did in 2020 as being a defense first team. That's my expectation. And the linebacker position is the one position that needs to be addressed the most on that side of the football. And when you look at Micah Parsons, he's the best defensive player in this draft. I mean, it's plain and simple. Everybody that I've talked to, former scouts, guys that evaluate these players, guys that spend, uh, quite frankly, way too much time watching film on college players, everybody tells me the same thing, that, that Micah Parsons is the best defensive player in this year's NFL draft, which does kind of beg the question, how on earth would Washington actually get him? But I do think there is a realistic chance that he falls outside of the top 10. And the reason being is that I think we're going to see a fire sale on quarterbacks. I think there's a really strong possibility that all five guys are taken in the top 10. And then you add Panay Sewell, who will be taken in the top 10. You add Kyle Pitts, who will be taken in the top 10. Well, that right there is seven of the top 10 picks. Dallas is likely going cornerback at number 10. So Patrick Sertan could go there. And and then you're going to get Jamar Chase taken in the top 10 and the possibility of maybe Jalen Waddell being taken in the top 10. So Micah Parsons falling outside of the top 10 is a very realistic possibility. And if he gets past the Giants, I think it's time to maneuver around a little bit. If he gets past New York, and Lord hell, I don't want him going to New York. The the threat of Dallas and New York kind of being right on the outside of the 10 and 11 respectively, I mean, that scares me. It, it frightens me tremendously because I don't want that guy in particular to end up in either one of those two organizations. But if he does fall past the Giants, it's time to maneuver. It's time to work on a way to see how we can go up and we can get Micah Parsons. He is the guy that fills the biggest hole on the defense, and we need to get better on a Thursday night. It's as simple as that. You're not going to find a player, or I should say, it's unlikely that you will find a player in the later stages of the draft that'll have the same success that Micah Parsons will at the NFL level. It's possible We've seen it before, but it's not something you want to bank on. So if you have the opportunity to go get Micah Parsons, I do think you do it. I will take all of your character concerns bashing. I mean, I'll take that. I will take every single response, every single reason as to why you don't want Micah Parsons because of those issues. That's fine. I I get that. But I do just want to... I just want to point out, because I know a lot of this is stemming from the Darius Geist stuff, 
right? Like we played with fire and and we got burnt, although I don't think it was. Look, LSU is really good at covering it up. Like we have learned over the past few weeks and months now that LSU had this whole cover-up thing down to like a, a disgustingly good science. And Penn State is not exactly the pioneer of great decision-making when it comes to their football program. But the difference between the Darius Geis situation and the Micah Parsons situation to me is that you look at the management who's running it. With the Darius Geis, that was Jay Gruden. That was Bruce Allen. That was Dan Snyder kind of being the joystick guy, taking the whole draft process for his own personal joyride. I don't know whose call officially it was to draft Darius Geis, but what I do know is that that person isn't here anymore. And I'm hoping, and this is maybe me being a little too optimistic, but I'm hoping the the days of the Dan Snyder joyride are gone. I, I'm hoping the power that we think Ron Rivera has is the reality when it comes to draft day decisions. I hope he does have all the power, and I know for damn sure I trust Ron Rivera a hell of a lot more than just about anybody else we've ever had here, with the exception of maybe like a Joe Gibbs, but I didn't really get prime Joe Gibbs. Of all the people that have run this organization that have had any sort of major say in this organization in my lifetime at 25 years old, I trust Ron Rivera more than any of them. So if they do their due diligence and they say that Micah Parsons is fine and he is worthy of being drafted, I think you have to live with that. They haven't failed this yet, and for my money, I'm not going to attack them until they actually do fail us. It's as simple as that. So Micah Parsons is number one. Number two is Justin Fields. Or really any quarterback that's projected to go in the top 10 who is not Mac Jones. Get the hell out of here with this Mac Jones conversation. I don't want him. I don't. Like not a single fiber of my being wants anything to do with Mac Jones. You can take, I don't care how you take that. It's not meant to be a shot at him, but hell, if it's a shot at him, it's a shot at him. I just don't think he fits what we're trying to do offensively moving forward. I watched Alabama play. I've spoken to people who, again, do way too much film study, and they watch Mac Jones play. And the numbers, everybody is talking about his completion percentage, and it's great. It's a huge number. But one guy that I spoke to mentioned specifically his completion percentage when Alabama put guys in motion. Now, Steve Sarkeesian, who was the offensive coordinator there last year, he ran a very RPO-heavy offense, and he ran a very heavy motion offense. So they were always moving guys prior to the snap at the line of scrimmage. And one of the numbers that really stuck out to me as I was speaking to a guy at ESPN that, that again, he does this for a living, uh, he mentioned that the, the completion percentage for Mac Jones when Alabama sent a guy in motion on a play, was something like 90%. That is a mind-bogglingly huge number, but don't fall to the victim of that high number. Recognize that what that means is that when they were sending dudes in motion, the decision was already made where the ball was going. He's reading the defense at the line of scrimmage, and because it's college, not the NFL, the defenses are not as complex. They don't adjust as well. He knew where the ball was going prior to the ball actually being snapped. That's a dangerous thing in the NFL because it doesn't work like it does in college. 
Now, I'm not against implementing more RPOs in our offense, but I do think Mac Jones only succeeds in that style of offense in the NFL. It has to be heavy on the RPOs, heavy on uh, the motion and the wrinkles at the line of scrimmage. And currently what we have going on at the quarterback room, I don't know if we can trot Ryan Fitzpatrick out there under this RPO heavy offense and expect him to have success. So with that being said, you would be setting Ryan Fitzpatrick up for a different offense than we would have to use for Mac Jones. And I just don't think that does anybody any good because in the event that Ryan Fitzpatrick does not work, and we're five, six weeks into the season, Ron has to make the tough decision and go for the switch. Well, you have Mac Jones, who we drafted in the first round. Obviously, you put him in the game, see if he can make something work. It's a completely different offense. Everybody has to relearn the damn thing, and it just doesn't, it doesn't seem conducive to success on the offensive side of the ball. So do away with Mac Jones. I think Justin Fields has so much more upside. I view him as the second best quarterback in this year's draft class behind only Trevor Lawrence. For the life of me, I cannot understand why people don't see that. I I watch Zach Wilson and he has some flashes, but people knock Justin Fields for, for playing poorly against good competition and everybody seems to just glance over the fact that Zach Wilson had the Coastal Carolina game where he did not look anywhere near as good as he had against weaker competition and people just brush that to the side because we saw the throw that he made in his pro day and it was very impressive because he was rolling one side, threw it across his body the other side and there was no defense and it looked really good. Justin Fields physically has all of the tools. He might be more physically gifted than Trevor Lawrence himself, and it seems like he is going to tank in this draft. I mean, I think he's the best option for San Francisco at three, but if for whatever reason they go with Mac Jones or Trey Lance, there's a possibility that Justin Fields, if the fire sale at the quarterback position is not quite like I think it'll be, He could fall outside of the top 10. And then at that point, you're battling with Bill Belichick in New England to go up and get a quarterback. We need a quarterback. Ryan Fitzpatrick, nobody is sitting here saying he's the future of this franchise. Or God, I hope you're not. He's a bridge quarterback. And right now, the two options we have on the other side of the bridge are Taylor Heineke, who has very minimal experience in the NFL and is getting a lot closer to 30. And we have Kyle Allen. And both of those guys, I think, are quality options, but I think Justin Fields, the ceiling for him is far greater than the ceiling for either of those two. So if there's a possibility that he falls outside of the top 10 and you can maneuver around to go up and get him, you go do it. He's not Dwayne Haskins. Stop with the comparisons. I get it. It's easy because they wore the same logo on the side of their helmet when they played in college, but he's exceptionally different from Dwayne Haskins. He's exceptionally more gifted than Dwayne Haskins and his upside might be as great as Trevor Lawrence's is in this year's class. If he falls outside of the top 10, you go get him. And then rounding out our list of perfect scenarios, we need a wide receiver. That's one of the guys, that's one of the positions rather, that we have been kind of clamoring for. And a lot of mock drafts have put us taking Kadarius Toney at 19 and quite front like no I I just I don't think he is he's the 19th overall pick but one of the storylines in the NFL draft that we knew was going to happen ever since the days we saw this dude tearing it up at Alabama once he kind of um, once he took the step in the right direction 
of being a guy that can contend for a Heisman Trophy, we knew that Devontae Smith was going to get ragged for his size. He's a small dude, and NFL GMs and NFL executives, they love big bodies. And a lot of the times, they like to outthink themselves a little bit. And because of their outthinking themselves, Devontae Smith could fall to us at 19. It's a bit of a stretch, but of the three options that I've listed here, the most realistic option for falling to 19 does seem like it is Devontae Smith. And he fits everything that this organization dreams of offensively. We want another stud to go with Terry McLaurin. We have Curtis Samuel. I think Curtis Samuel is fine, but I know Devontae Smith is a damn good football player. Now imagine trotting out week one a, a skill position group of Terry McLaurin, Devontae Smith, Curtis Samuel, a returning and healthy Kelvin Harmon, Logan Thomas, and then you have Antonio Gibson and McKissick in the backfield. That's a massive upgrade from what we trotted out last season. It really, really is. And I think Devontae Smith, you can put him in so many different positions. And once you put the ball in his hands, he just makes magic happen. He did it consistently at Alabama, and he did it when every single human being on the football field knew he was getting the ball. That was the most ridiculous thing about the entire year for him at Alabama. Everybody knew he was getting the football, and they still could not stop him from getting to where he wanted to get to on the field, from creating space between himself and the defenders. And while it does get a little bit more difficult to do that at an NFL level, he's a special football player. And some idiot GM is going to talk themselves out of drafting him because he's a little too small, and that could work wonders and be exceptionally beneficial for us. It would not be the first time that an Alabama player who had top five, top ten potential ended up falling to the mid to late teens to us. Open arms and waiting to grab him up. Now let's turn our attention to some of the more realistic options, right? Everything we just discussed was kind of a perfect dream scenario. The realistic options are this. It's a boring pick. It's a boring pick at 19 because you like to have the sexy pick. You like to have this big-time playmaker who's going to score all of the touchdowns for your team or he's going to make all of the big plays on the defensive side of the football for your team. But we need to address the offensive linemen. This is one of the signs that you're getting old when you want your team to draft an offensive lineman. I remember, I mean, I've been doing this whole like podcasting, video podcasting thing for for years on years on years. Back to when I was like in high school in front of a, a webcam doing this stuff for YouTube. And I never in my life said I want an offensive lineman, but here I am 25 years old with age brings wisdom most of the times. And I want an offensive lineman. And I think we will have a couple of different options that'll be hovering around where we sit in the draft. Some of it would require us moving up, but I'm not against moving up for a good quality offensive lineman that is going to be the anchor of what I hope is a good offensive line for years and years to come. We have to protect our quarterback if we want to be successful in the NFL. Not a huge fan of the options we have this year at the quarterback position, but it's still crucial for the future of the franchise to protect your quarterback. So I think the two obvious ones uh, that would be home run hits are Christian Darisaw from Virginia Tech and Rashawn Slater. A lot has been made about Darisaw. He's a little bit more likely of the two. 
around the the mid to late teen range. Obviously, he played at Virginia Tech. He's a relatively local guy, played his high school ball at Riverdale Baptist, and he does a lot of really, really great things. Not having Brandon Sheriff locked up long-term, I do think makes this this decision a little bit more difficult. I think my major philosophy usually is you draft the best player available and if that best player is just happens to be a need, like you marry that combination. And I, I think Darisaw would be a, a perfect fit to what we want to do on the offensive line. But I also recognize a guy like Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, who's a bit more of a safer pick, a guy that is likely going to be available at 19 without a trade-up necessary. He's a guy that can play so many different positions on the offensive line where I understand if that's the decision uh, that you want the franchise to make, not knowing the future of Brandon Sheriff. In a perfect like fantasy utopian world between now and Thursday, they, they lock up Brandon Sheriff, but that's just not how things work. And them not doing it in the offseason was... It was hurtful, not hurtful, but it hurts. Like, you want to have this guy locked up. He says he wants to be here, at least he has before, and they were unable to do so, so I do think that makes this pick a little bit more more difficult in terms of which guy that you would want. Rashawn Slater is known for one thing and one thing only in his time at Northwestern. He was the guy that stopped Chase Young. I mean, he has a lot of intangibles that are going to make him a great offensive lineman, likely a left tackle in the NFL. But the one that is heard over and over again when people are evaluating the guy is that he stopped Chase Young when he played Chase Young at Ohio State. Chase Young's gotten a whole lot better, but it's still impressive at the college level because he was so much better than everybody else uh, that he was able to control Chase Young. So that's something you have to take seriously. Obviously, we know how good Chase Young is. If there is any way that he falls outside of 14 uh, and he's hovering around 15, I do think you look into the possibility of making the trade up to go get him. I don't think that happens, but it is something that you have to at least look at. And then on the other side of the football at the linebacker spot, if Micah Parsons is not there, you go the guy from Notre Dame. We're like 20 minutes into this podcast. I've been fearing for this moment because there's absolutely no way I can pronounce this dude's name on the first try, but I'm going to go for it anyway, and we're just going to roll with it here. Jeremiah Awusu Kamora? That There's no way that's right. We're going to call him J-O-K because uh, I think that nickname is actually kind of badass as well, but he fits the need at linebacker. You have to address one of those two very early in the draft, maybe not in the first round. Again, if there's a wide receiver there that you like, you can go that direction, but you have to address offensive line or linebacker relatively early in this first round. Uh, I think uh, J.O.K. from Notre Dame would be a really, really great addition to what we're trying to do on the defensive side of the ball. And if for some odd reason, if Elijah Vera Tucker if Christian Darisaw, Rashawn Slater, JOK, if they're all off the board at 19, you trade back. It's very, very simple. We don't have to reach for a wide receiver or for any other offensive lineman or any other linebacker at that position. Don't be afraid to trade back to continue to gain picks, to gain assets that you can hopefully turn into really successful picks. I know our history in the second round, and it's not good, but we have a very good history in the third and the fourth round as well. So if you can 
if you can pick up those picks, kind of dodge the second round turmoil, but pick up the, the mid round picks, I think that's something that you look into if all of those four players in particular are off the board and a guy like Devontae Smith hasn't just magically fallen into your lap. And we'll finish this draft preview edition of the podcast with this. When it comes to selecting quarterbacks, if we can't get one of the ones that is going to be projected top 10, if we miss out on all of them, there are still options. And there's two in particular that I find to be the most intriguing of the everybody else. It's not Davis Mills, although I I am intrigued about him. It's not him. It's damn sure not Kyle Trask. I think you have to look into Kellen Mond out of Texas A&M and Jamie Newman out of Wake Forest slash Georgia. I don't know if he really considers himself a Bulldog considering that he didn't play there. But we'll start with Kellen Mond because I think he might end up being off the board by the late second round, early third round. But I do think our franchise will be in a position where if they want him, they can go get him. I'll be honest, I was never enthralled watching him play on a weekly basis at Texas A&M. I know the Aggies had great success this year in particular, and they were knocking on the door of the college football playoff, but I was never just jaw-dropping while I was watching the kid. I really wasn't, but in this draft process, I do think personality and the way that you carry yourself off the field does make a really big difference as to how you translate on the field in the NFL. And I was listening to an interview that Kellen Mann did over at SiriusXM where I just happened to work. And I was, I mean, I got to be honest, I was really, really impressed. And like three minutes into what was a nine-minute interview, I, I was just thinking to myself, I was like, this dude, from where he seems to be coming from mentally, he is a perfect fit for Ron Rivera, and it seems like he is exactly the kind of guy that Ron Rivera would love. And with the benefit of understanding he is a project quarterback, he can learn under a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick. And the the sense that I got from the interview is that he recognizes that is that's probably what his first few years are going to be like, learning from veteran quarterbacks. And there are very few veterans in the NFL right now that I think are are better for young quarterbacks than a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, Tua Tungabailoa in Miami raved about having Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now, we don't know what Tua's future is going to look like in terms of success in Miami, but he raved about how great Ryan Fitzpatrick was in his development. Obviously, Alex Smith is not around anymore. We saw what he did for Patrick Mahomes. But if we can bring Kellen Mond in here and he can learn under Ryan Fitzpatrick and they can they can build a relationship, I do think that is something that you have to take into serious consideration when you're sitting in the second and third round if he is still available. We need a quarterback of the future. We don't have one on the roster, uh, at least one that I'm fully comfortable in. And I don't know if Kellen Mond can ultimately end up being a franchise guy, but if you're taking a flyer on him in a second round where we have already had numerous years of, of failures there, hell, do it. Do it. I I don't know what, I mean, what's the worst thing that's going to happen from it? 
I never got the sense that he that Kellen Mond would be a guy that would that would flip things on its head and he would turn the media again like that. That's not him. I don't think he's going to make a big fuss about not playing right away. I think you do that. And then the other guy, of course, is Jamie Newman uh, from Wake Forest and kind of the University of Georgia. He's a guy that you can expect to still see on the board in the later rounds of the draft. He opted out in 2020, uh, which for, I mean, look, the COVID reasons, you can't really bash a dude for opting out due to COVID purposes. But from purely a football perspective, I do think this was the bad move for him, the wrong move for him. I think he needed one more year playing at the SEC to really catapult him up to the higher rounds of the draft. But what I do know is that the potential and the talent is there. And he is going to be falling in the draft, not falling, he's going to be available in the later rounds of the draft. And when you mix in the potential, and again, we have Ryan Fitzpatrick, who is meant to be a bridge quarterback to whoever it is that we end up uh, deciding is going to be QB1 after Ryan Fitzpatrick. If you can take Jamie Newman with the skill and the talent that he has and sit him behind Ryan Fitzpatrick and Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke and allow him to learn, get comfortable processing in the NFL, and then utilize his skill set uh, to the the biggest advantage that he can, I think that does wonders. And I do just want to point out that both Kellen Mond and Jamie Newman have enough athleticism to create with their legs. I think we are long past the day where you can just sit there in the pocket. I know Tom Brady just won a Super Bowl doing that, but the defense won them that Super Bowl. I think as the league continues to progress and we continue to see just world-class athletes on both sides of the football, you need to have a quarterback that is at the very least capable of creating with their legs. And Jamie Newman and Kellen Mond both have that capability. So look at those two guys in the, for Kellen Mond, the mid rounds, the mid to early rounds of the draft. And then Jamie Newman, if we're still searching for a quarterback and we swung and miss on a guy like Kellen Mond, look for Jamie Newman in 5-6-7 when it comes to the rounds because I do think he'll be available then. Let me know what you thought of this podcast. Obviously, the draft is coming up a few days from now when all is said and done. When the dust settles and clears, we will have a recap. Hopefully, we'll have some fun, and hopefully, we end up having a good weekend here in D.C. Hit me up on Twitter. Until then, at the Denton Day, I'm out. Peace.